I'm your host, Marita Noon, and the Executive Director of Energy Makes America Great. Each week here on America's Voice for Energy, we discuss the topic of my weekly energy commentary. This week, I wrote on the Pope and climate change. If you're a regular listener to America's Voice for Energy, you know that each week my commentary is based on some current news uh, item that has an energy theme or energy hook to it. And you might wonder, why am I writing about the Pope? Well, writing about the Pope because on April 28th, uh, the day of the Boston riots and the day of the Nepal earthquake, so it didn't get a lot of news coverage because there were many other things going on. But the Vatican held uh, an international summit on climate change. And uh, this might seem incongruous, as we're going to discuss with our various guests today, and that's why I wrote on it. Our first guest today is someone who I quoted in my column, and that is Cal Beisner, Calvin Beisner, who is the founder and national spokesman for the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. And I met Cal many years ago, and after I read the materials he sent me in preparation for this interview, uh, I realized that, that I have you know, not been suitably impressed with Cal Beisner because, Cal, you did a great job in your presentations there in Rome. So welcome to America's Voice for Energy, and we're excited to hear, hear what happened and what, you're, what you told people at, while you were in Rome for the uh, Vatican's International Summit on Climate Change. Well, thank you, Marita. It's great to be with you today. Um, the, the events in Rome were really quite interesting. Uh, I might say, sort of as an aside here almost, that it was quite shocking that the Vatican would so fully cooperate uh, with an event that uh, featured as its main speaker, Jeffrey Sachs. Now, Sachs is famous in some circles uh, as a major proponent of the UN Millennium Development Goals uh, that are uh, probably getting undeserved credit for reducing poverty around the world. I think the uh, reductions in poverty would have happened uh, at least as well without the Development Goals as with, simply because uh, as, as uh, economies have developed and as trade has grown around the world, uh, the demand for people's services, for labor, has risen, and that's really what's been lifting people out of poverty, that combined with abundant, affordable, reliable energy. Uh, but Sachs is not so well known for the simple fact that he is one of the world's foremost promoters of abortion on demand, no restrictions, no apologies, uh, and covered entirely by government funding. Uh, he wants it to be free. Uh, yeah. rather paid for by somebody other than the people using it. And I want to jump in here, if you don't mind, because yeah. you brought up less well-known, and you're so right, because I started writing my column on Friday. I hoped to finish it Saturday morning, and I, but and I was going down this particular path that you're talking about, exactly where I went, is shocked that basically, as Christ said, you will know them by your fruit, and right. that, uh, you know, we should not partner with light should not partner with darkness, and so I was going down this path looking for Jeffrey Sachs. Now, I read some things that are just what you just said, and I spent time on the Internet Saturday morning searching 
for verification because I don't write anything that I can't verify unless I say it is rumored that. You know, if I can't find the verification, I'll, I'll annotate it accordingly. And I spent probably two hours Saturday morning, and I was having a party Saturday night and had to clean the house. So I had to quit. I just had to drop that that path because it was it was so hard to find so when you would comment on less well known i mean i did find some verification for it ultimately but it was difficult to find yeah uh, but the very fact that the vatican would team up with somebody like that indicates exactly that exactly a real exchange of values in the vatican uh it should be standing for the the, the sanctity of human life and the importance of preserving human life and instead it's teaming up with a man who is all in favor of of aborting people uh rapidly uh as a means of preventing what he thinks is overpopulation which he thinks is the primary driver of dangerous global warming but what i pointed out is that you simply cannot show um uh, any uh, clear correlation between human emission of greenhouse gases and global average temperatures. Uh, let's let's back up for just a sec, Cal. Can you tell us, uh, for our listeners, uh, that what you were doing in Rome and when you say what I pointed out, where were you and how, to, how was that set up? Well, I was in Rome uh, to speak for two press conferences, Monday the uh, 27th and Tuesday the 28th, on, uh, you know, in, in response to uh, the uh, conference that the Vatican was hosting. And my point there essentially was this, that uh, even if you were to accept the claims of global warming driven by uh, fossil fuel use, uh, even so, the proposal to mitigate that by reducing fossil fuel use puts the poor at greater risk than just allowing the warming to happen. Uh, for instance, you could take the entire U.S. economy out of the picture, just eliminate all U.S. emissions of greenhouse gases, and the result would be uh, less than uh, two hundredths of a degree Celsius difference in global average temperature at the end of this century. And that would be made up, by the way, by 2105, uh, so just five years later. Uh, but doing that would, of course, impoverish all the people in America because they wouldn't have energy anymore. Uh, it would also impoverish people around the world because there would be that much less demand for the goods and services that they produce, which means ah, that their mm -hmm. incomes would fall. Uh, so no matter what you do, when you reduce the amount of energy available to people, uh, you, you push them back into poverty or you, you perpetuate their poverty. That's why it is so, so morally reprehensible to embrace the kinds of policies that are being uh, put forward by the United Nations on this issue. But, of course, the United Nations has a different fundamental value. Rather than seeing human life and human health and human well-being as the, as the basic measure of a good economy and a good environment, they see the absence of human impact on the earth as the basic measure. Uh, and so, you know, you want to get rid of human beings? Hey, poverty's a good way to do it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and speaking of poverty, uh, I read that what your first uh, presentation. Now, let me just ask, because we're going to run out of time to cover everything that, you, that I'd love to address with you, because you've got such a wealth of information here and what you sent me in advance. Are these presentations available on your website? Yes, they are. Uh, both of my presentations are, and uh, that's the website is cornwallalliance.org. 
but especially I would urge that we uh, that we send your your listeners to the open letter to Pope Francis, of which you are a signer, and that is yes. online at climateletter2popefrancis.org. That's climateletter2popefrancis.org, and I I think that makes the case about as quickly and clearly as anything could be imagined. Yes, and your your uh, the videos of your presentations are also available on the Heartland website. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Okay, so now that we've established that, tell me we were. I, I kind of interrupted with that because I know we're going to run out of time, and I want to make sure that I get that in. Give give our our listeners a, a, an understanding of your background, which I was totally unaware of until I read what you sent me, and why you personally care so much about the poor. Well, in my in my uh, toddlerhood, so to speak, uh, my father, working with the U.S. State Department, was uh, was sent to Calcutta. And uh, shortly after we arrived there, my mother contracted a virus that attacked her spine and paralyzed her. Two of my older sisters wow. were school age, and they went to a school that was run by the nun who eventually became Mother Teresa. My other sister and I were too young for school, and so we were farmed out to Indian families. And every morning, early in the morning, my ayah, or nurse, would walk me to the home where I would spend the day. We were out early enough that the trucks had not yet come around to pick up the dead bodies of those who had died overnight of starvation and disease. And the pictures of, of that, the mental images of dead bodies lying all over the streets, stayed with me for the rest of my life. And they've given me a passion I can imagine. for seeing the poor rise out of poverty. And there are two things that are fundamental to that. The first is... Uh, free markets, limited government, the rule of law, private property rights, free trade, and so on, all of those things go together. And without those, no society has ever risen out of poverty or, or will stay out of poverty. And the other one is abundant, affordable, reliable energy, especially in the form of electricity through major grids that can bring large amounts of energy dependably, uninterruptedly, uh, to millions of people. Uh, you can't do that without fossil fuels, which means that to say we have to stop using fossil fuels is essentially to say we have to stay poor. Uh, and poverty kills. Uh, poor people die younger. They are sick more frequently. They lack access to, to purified drinking water, sewage sanitation, uh, adequate nutrition, medical care, all sorts of things like that. And so, uh, unsurprisingly, their life expectancies are, are lower. Uh, and their disease rates are higher, and especially their, their child mortality rates are much higher. So there's a clear correlation as, as our use of, of carbon-based fuels, we, uh, that would be uh, coal, oil, and natural gas, rises. Uh, child mortality falls, life expectancy rises, and uh, uh, income per person rises. Those are all measures of human material well-being. If we want to see those improve, we have have to see access to uh, to abundant, affordable, reliable energy from fossil fuels expand, not contract. Yeah, and your graphs that you showed or the slides that you used in your second day's presentation so beautifully illustrate that. We've only got about two minutes total left, and I know that's unfair to ask you to kind of describe what these graphs say uh, in two minutes, but can you try? 
Well, I can give it a quick try. Uh, <laughs> people can see these. Yeah, people can see these at CornwallAlliance.org. Uh, they can uh, they can move to there and, and look for them. Um, what the graphs show is that as uh, as carbon emissions per person rise over time, uh, child mortality, that is, deaths per thousand children born by age five, child mortality plummets. I show the figures for, two thousand, for, for uh, 1940 and then 2009. Uh, similarly, the next set of graphs compares 1940 with 2009 in terms of life, life expectancy. Uh, child mortality plummets by uh, to, by about uh, well from about uh, four to five hundred per thousand to about sixty per thousand as carbon use rises and life expectancy rises from about forty to about sixty five uh, from nineteen forty to two thousand nine and then uh, finally I also show how uh, income per capita rises as carbon based fuel use rises and frankly if we're going to to go back to the carbon emissions of the 1970s, we have to eliminate uh, uh, about 50% of per, per capita income around the world. Uh, that means pushing people back into poverty who've come out of it, and it means keeping people in poverty who haven't yet come out of it. So I think that's just morally reprehensible. And uh, those and, and shocking that the Pope would be really money. promoting this. Yes, it really is. I mean, he claims to be an advocate for the poor. I mean, this pope has been uh, uh, an advocate of liberation theology in his past, uh, which I think is, is uh, quite mistaken, liberation theology being a form of Marxism, and this has not lifted people out of the poor and out of poverty, but he at least claims to be an advocate for the poor. Uh, yeah. Cal, I'm way out of time here. I'm so sorry. I knew we were going to run out of time. I appreciate you joining us today. Folks, check in at, at CornwallAlliance.org, and we'll be right back on America's Voice for Energy. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government as well as those involved in legal cases have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week we're discussing the Pope's Conference on Climate Change and the upcoming encyclical uh, addressing climate change. And, you know, wondering why is the Pope even involved in this topic at all? And for this segment, I'm honored to have Mark Morano with me. He's one of the foremost 
experts, I believe, uh, in the world on climate change and, and attends a lot of lot of these different climate conferences and was, in fact, in Rome at the time of the Vatican's uh, international summit that they held on climate change. Mark Morano is the publisher of Climate Depot and a former staffer with the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee. And Mark has been following climate change issues Certainly as long as I've been involved in the mark, I've, I've learned from you and, and watched your work and greatly appreciate and respect what you do. And so welcome back to America's Voice for Energy today. Thank you, Marita. Happy to be here. So tell us, tell us what, first what you were doing in Rome, because I don't think you were on the Pope's guest list. Is that correct? <laughs> no, we, we placed <laughs> ourselves on the list. You know, we were the uninvited guests. Uh, what happened was we found out, and the Vatican announced on very short notice that they were having this climate summit at the Vatican, in Vatican City, the smallest country in the world. And it was uh, coming up on April 28th. This was only about 10-day advance notice. So I immediately had – I had already been on Fox News. I'd written an op-ed. I'd been following this very closely because Pope Francis had been taking unprecedented steps for a pope on the issue of global warming, previous popes, Pope Benedict, Pope John Paul II, have written, expressed concern about environmental issues, even mentioned climate. But both of them never got involved in a political process, and, and Pope Benedict, the, the, success, the previous pope to Pope Francis, was very clear warning about what he called the prophets of doom and, and alarmism and fear, and he talked about you know, not, talk, not relying on self-interested individuals and activists, I mean, describing the U.N. perfectly. So Pope Francis announced this summit, and it included some of the most out, you know, activist and alarmist UN scientists you could possibly imagine and other advisors. So I tried to arrange to get over there, and initially we couldn't get you know, any interest in going at first, and then it got a much bigger news story, and then the Heartland Institute got involved, so I joined their delegation and went over with about 10 people, uh, and then we had a two-day uh, event ourselves. We had two press conferences and presentations, and we also attended the Vatican Summit uh, that, that was there as well. And it was a very... Um, uh, well, but stop for a second. You were able to yeah. attend the Vatican Summit? Yes, we actually got credentials. Oh, and good. I didn't we, we that. We were only there as observers and as you know, and not to not to actually make a presentation at the Vatican. However, right, right down right. one one block outside of Vatican City, we had our events and we had the media, and we were very successful getting our message out. And we were carried by the New York Times, USA Today, the Washington Post, uh, the Boston Globe, the UK Guardian. We got we got our message. New York Times covered it all across the world. We got you know citations and mentions. So we we got pushback against the Vatican climate agenda. So in that regard, our trip was very successful. But the most disturbing element of this thing is that Pope Francis and the Vatican are have chosen to not listen to any anyone who is contrary to the United Nations climate view. Pope Benedict had similar environmental summits, and he invited both sides. He had Fred Singer, other global warming skeptics, back in 2007. Uh, and Antonio Zanici, the president of the World Federation of Scientists, was a major force, skeptical. And so Pope Benedict never really got involved. But Pope Francis and the Vatican this time have excluded anyone skeptical. In fact, it was so hostile that even though we were fully credentialed and inside, they did not treat us nicely. They were following us around very closely, hounding us. I tried to ask a question of Ban Ki-moon, the U.N. 
secretary general who was there, and I was threatened with removal because once they found out who I was, they took the microphone away, wouldn't let me speak. Uh, they wow. did not want anything, anything to upset the narrative. And, and to be fair to the Vatican, that was also the U.N. security forces and everyone there as well, but the Vatican allowed the U.S. to sort of take it over for a day. That, that's startling. I hadn't realized that you'd actually gotten in there. Now, when you were there and you were listening to the presentations, I assume there were speakers like a normal conference? Yes, there was speaker after speaker. I went with James Dillon Paul of Breitbart News and Lord Mark. Oh, my Peter gosh, that must have been a hoot. That's right. It's that the three people you don't want coming to crash your party are <laughs> the three of us. But we were actually very respectful. Monken was also asked to leave. He was sitting in the main plenary session listening to the speakers. But what was happening was they had Jeffrey Sachs, who's a U.N. advisor, and they issued right. this statement that day. And Jeffrey Sachs was one of the signatories. Well, who is Jeffrey Sachs? Jeffrey Sachs is a population control advocate and, and, and advocates many of the things that are contrary to what the Vatican teachings are for Catholics. And, yeah, and, that, and that's one of the exact angles that I took um, in my column because, you know, Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount, warning people how to identify true followers, he said, you will know them by their fruit. And when yes. you look at the so-called fruit of Jeffrey Sachs and others, and, and um, I didn't take the time, maybe you did or maybe you, know, maybe you know more, but I didn't take the time to go through every single author on the, that document, the statement that they released. I didn't take the time to do a thorough search on every single author, but my assumption is that um, it's the, the list is filled with secular humanists whose opinions, uh, uh, viewpoints, are the antithesis of those of the church as Jeffrey Sachs would be. And you're absolutely right, and that's why we're calling it an unholy alliance. It makes no sense. I mean, the entire UN climate agenda is contrary to the Vatican teachings on everything, deception, uh, euthanasia, uh, I mean, just on down the list, uh, and uh, sterilization. And so what happened was just... And, and they probably don't even believe in God, I would assume. I mean, they, had, yeah. they, put, they put man before God and, God, I mean, and, man, and nature above man. Yes, and that, yeah, and this is a wholly secular organization. And then even beyond the moral and, and religious question, you have the Pope now saying things like we need to fight global warming because, you know, that's the best thing to help people in poverty. It's the opposite. We need to build more, use more fossil fuels to build up infrastructure. That's the way you help poor people. The more wealth they get and the more infrastructure and fossil fuels, the more they can withstand any kind of bad weather or, uh, you know, bad weather events, regardless of whether people think they're caused by mankind or just, you know, historical natural events. So it's, it, it, and, and, and the United Nations agenda would limit life-saving energy. One of the greatest liberators of mankind in our history, coal, gas, oil, would limit that and make it more expensive and, and manage the developing world's development. And that's where the perverse part comes in, is that they actually are going to tell people in Africa, 1.3 billion people around the world who don't have running water and electricity, you can't make the mistakes we made. We have to make you develop the, the way we think you should based on our fears of that the earth and global warming. And the Pope is signing on to that. What makes this unprecedented, Marita, is he's getting involved 
directly with the United Nations in a climate treaty, a specific climate treaty that's going to be heavily dosed in politics, that Pope is going to the United Nations in New York to give a big speech on climate. It's going to be after the, the Vatican encyclical issued on climate. Last and the year, Pope the, is meeting with President Obama, correct? Yes, yeah, now that will be about other issues as well. But, I mean, this, this, is, this is the Pope specifically getting involved, and they're going to probably talk about climate when they meet. But the Pope, yes. last year we had Leonardo DiCaprio speak at the U.N. all about climate. This year it appears that Pope Francis will be replacing Leonardo DiCaprio. He's allowing himself to be used as a tool. It's so, uh, by, the, by the global warming establishment, Al Gore is now openly talking about uh, becoming Catholic because of the Pope. Yes. Now, it might be slightly tongue-in-cheek. But the point is, they know a good thing when they see it, and they're going to ride the Pope and his views all the way. And it's very confusing theologically because the Pope, when you get involved in something explicitly political, like a specific treaty with a date, they're going to be signing it in Paris this year, a big U.N. treaty signing with President Obama, John Kerry's pushing it. Catholics are going to think, oh, in order to be a good Catholic, I've got to support this U.N. climate treaty. It, the whole thing is, is just a mess, and I, it's very confusing that the white Pope Francis would get involved. Yeah, it is, and I, um, I quoted you in my column talking about how fossil fuels or carbon-based fuels are what will, you know, lift people out of poverty, and, I, you know, in a way you kind of have to respect the Pope for being concerned about the poor, but these policies, as you pointed out, uh, will do the opposite of that. And and uh, it is it's, it is baffling to look at why the Pope, uh, and uh, people have asked me this on radio interviews, why do you think the Pope is getting involved in this? And wh what do you think? Good question. The Pope has gotten involved in a lot of things that have made people scratch their head. He's, he's, I think what he's trying to do now, here's the one view of it, is he's trying to change the image of Popes. He's trying to become a pop culture figure to change the image. You know, the previous Popes had been very intellectual, had been very um, you know, traditional and orthodox in a way. So this Pope is trying to just change the image, reach out, get more young people. And so he gives all these off-the-cuffs press conferences on airplanes and stuff, and he's trying to address things that people don't expect him to. The liberal media, of course, thinks he's this big liberal reform pope, but that doesn't really show up either because he usually, yeah, there's usually a lot of media hype on some comment or statement, and then he's, the Vatican will back away, and he stays very traditional. So it's possible what he's doing here is he's getting involved in what he thinks is a popular issue, and then maybe at the end he'll pull back and he won't actually, you know, go go as far as a lot of people are claiming he will. So it remains to be seen, but it's already pretty bad. He's aligned himself with Naomi Oreskes, who thinks we should use RICO statutes to basically uh, arrest global warming skeptics. He's aligned himself, we've already mentioned Jeffrey Sachs. And by the way, Jeffrey Sachs thinks that skeptics have blood on their hands every time there's a bad storm anywhere in the world because we're preventing... You know, solutions that would make storms less bad. He, he's aligned himself with Peter Watt, a global warming scientist, so on the extreme that even NASA's lead global warming activist scientists have been saying that you know, the Pope's advisor doesn't have graphs that defy basic physics. So he's got the extreme of the global warming partisans, not even the mainstream. And that's really concerning as who the Vatican's listening to and who they're reaching out to.
Yeah, you know, one thing you mentioned there, you mentioned that he's trying to attract young people, but I'm sure you saw the poll that came out last week from Harvard Public Opinion Project that says that the group that least agrees that global warming is a proven fact and mostly caused by emissions from cars and industrial facilities such as power plants is the 18 to 20 18 to 20 year old excuse me and, and uh, so and that, that they don't want government action that poll showed as well so it's an interesting dichotomy going on there yeah and that was just, that was just kind of a very surprising poll to me because previous polls had indicated that young people because it starts in elementary school have been indoctrinated but I think what's happened is they've ratcheted up the irrational and just silliness of the whole issue that keep the kids instinctively just tune it out I mean how much more can you hear about the nonsense of, you know, we're creating every tornado and weather event. It's just, it just becomes silliness. The, the, this issue, though, the next stage of this is the Vatican issuing a, a papal encyclical, which is going to be like a sort of a doctrine that they're going to release a big uh, multi-hundred-page five report, and that will be digested, and the Pope will be in New York speaking, and then the, the Pope is going to be you know, doing other events leading up to Paris. So it will be interesting to see how far this goes. But there's even talk of this making it to the United States where bishops will then disseminate this information down to local parishes so people going to Catholic churches in America will listen to homilies about global warming and how we need to fight it and do something about it and implications for UN treaty. And I think if it got to that level, you'd have a major revolt of American Catholics because no one wants to go to church and hear their, their, their priests talk about <laughs> Sal Miguel Gore. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, a, it's an amazing, amazing story. Uh, Mark Morano from Climate Depot, thanks for joining me today on America's Voice for Energy. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week we've been discussing the Pope 
and climate change. And as I wrote my column this week, did my research, I was delighted to find that William M. Briggs, or Matt, uh, had written a piece on this because Matt and I talked back in September about the People's Climate March. And I enjoyed talking with him so much. It was such an enjoyable conversation. I was thrilled to see that he had written on this as well. But before we get into the, uh, his actual writing, Writing on this topic, let me introduce you to William M. Briggs. He is a consultant and adjunct professor of statistics at Cornell University with specialties in medicine and the philosophy of science. You can find his work at WM Briggs with no spaces or dots, but WMBRIGGS. Dot com. So, Matt, welcome to America's Voice for Energy, or I guess I should say welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. Nice to be here. Thank you. Now, you know, in your, in your posting on, on this topic, the Pope and climate change, um, you, you start right off with some very good questions that I'm just going to start right off with and sure. let you answer. You say, first, the big question. Why? Why is the Catholic Church entering into the fray of doubtful global warming science? Why now? And why with such shrill, apocalyptic, exaggerated rhetoric? Why strident calls for supranational government control at the same time the actual evidence for doom grows weaker and weaker? So what have you come up with as the answer for why? It's a, those are all excellent questions, if I don't say so myself. Um, the, the problem is that the church is not a monolithic entity, um, and it's split up into these various offices, and the politics are well known to be Byzantine and for good historical reasons. So there's one branch of it uh, that, that's called the Pontifical Academy of Sciences, and the Pontifical Academy of Social Sciences. And these guys, I think, rather felt left out of the whole global warming uh, gravy train and wanted to get in on it. And so they held this conference. It's not the first time they've held conferences like this, but it's the first time they, they held a conference at which they invited the UN and they sort of presupposed everything that the conference was set out to argue or to question. So they presuppose global warming is an enormous problem. They, they presuppose that the weather, for instance, has been getting more extreme and that uh, floods are increasing and hurricanes are increasing. All these things, which are, are certainly not true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, well, they're, me, they're measurably not true. So you wonder why they're saying them. I want to add in here that when you're saying that they they presuppose all these things, in our previous segment, uh, I talked with Mark Morano, who was there, and he was there with the Heartland Institute that held a, a kind of a other side of the debate conference, but he was also in the room at the Vatican conference, and what he told me was that, uh, you know, there was, there was no one that was even a rational thinker, let alone a so-called skeptic, on this topic that was invited, and the people that were there were, were all on the, the really far uh, extreme side of the global warming debate. That's very true. Well, Mark, Mark was there until they kicked him out. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. They, they tried to they tried to get in, but they weren't really welcome uh, to be there. Now the whole thing was a setup uh, from start to finish. There's no question about that. Uh, there was no debate allowed. Everybody had to believe already, or they weren't let into this thing. I myself tried uh, through various back channels. I'm a nobody, you know. I'm just a scientist. I have no. Uh, just a scientist, but, but you, you are also a Catholic, correct? Yeah, I am Catholic and uh, practicing Catholic. Uh, and I tried to, to see if I could find anybody uh, in the hierarchy that I could sort of try to get to this thing, and it just wasn't possible. Like I say, though, I am a nobody, so why would they want to have me there? But it turns out they didn't want to have anybody who would be willing to disagree with some of the more extreme pronouncements that they made. And that's the, the strange thing. It's not so strange. I mean, they, they want to involve themselves in politics. I mean, as you probably have already pointed out, uh, the Pope is going to be releasing an encyclical on, among other things, the environment. And everybody is guessing what's going to be in this thing. And everybody wants to sort of stake their political claims before this document is released. Now, I haven't seen it, and uh, I, I gather only a few people have. So... A lot of this speculation is bound to be wrong, but everybody does want to everybody does want to make politics of it. They want to make hash of it. And that's the scary thing. That that's what the Pontifical Academy, the PAS, should not have done, but which they did. Yeah, they've made they made a lot of news about it. And you know, man, I think I interrupted you and I don't I, I you didn't get a chance to finish on with why are they why are they pursuing this? That's just it. Uh, they, everybody wants to be part of this. It's every right-thinking person, uh, even if they know absolutely no science at all, believes in global warming. I mean, you've seen these uh, studies or, or rather sort of uh, uh, demonstrations where people go out and they ask them, well, what does the earth go around the sun or does the sun go around the earth? <laughs> and, then, you know, a good proportion of them, a large proportion of them get this wrong. Yet ask them again, do you believe in global warming? And yes, they surely do. I mean, this is a matter of secular religion. And yeah. nothing and that, points and to that better thing. than... Yeah. It, it is. In, in, in this document, they go on and on about sustainability. Now, the National Association of Scholars has recently released a report. You can find it on their website. They call it sustainability, that higher education's new fundamentalism. And that's well worth a read. It points to sustainability being what global warming could not be. Global warming, unfortunately, for environmentalists, is testable. I mean, for years now, for decades, they've been saying the temperature is going to go up, and it hasn't. And yes. it's beginning to look bad. So they're switching over to sustainable or sustainability, which means nothing. I mean, it doesn't have a definition. What you're doing is unsustainable. Your practices are, are, are not sustainable. What does that even mean? Sustain what? Sustain for whom and for what period? None of these things are, are defined, and, and they don't have any real interest in defining them because it's, it's sort of uh, like a matter of secular holiness. You could say, I am more sustainable than thou, if you do anything that aligns with the proper politics. You know, you were talking about uh, global warming and that, that, that it's provable, you know, that, it, that 
the, we can say, look, the stuff that you predicted, none of it has come true, so they're moving to sustainability. I'm sure you saw uh, the Harvard poll that showed that young people uniquely uh, believe in global warming far less than, than older people. So, I mean, yes, to me it true. says, you know, they're not buying this. They're, they're seeing these predictions and that they haven't come true. And, and they're, that, they're denying this. That's true. But in, in this, in this, uh, I'm touting this report because I think your your listeners would like to read this. I, yeah, I had no sustainability. Yes, I had no part in its creation or anything. I just happened to be fond of it. Rochelle Peterson was one of the authors, and she pointed this out. She did say that younger people are not so much interested in global warming, and they are tired of it, just as you say. But they like the parts of sustainability that align with progressive politics. Uh, somehow gay marriage gets in there. Somehow uh, every, <laughs> it becomes sustainable. Everything that, uh, is, that we know and love about progressive politics is sustainability, and that's what motivates these uh, you know, young adults. It's not so much global warming anymore. So they so what they, what this report or the the statement coming out of the uh, the Pontifical Academy of Sciences, as you say, uh, is full of the word sustainable. Now this is oh, not yeah. the encyclical. We don't that's not out yet. But the statement that came out of the April twenty eighth meeting, uh, according to you, is all about. Well, it's not just according to you. You've read it. I have to say, I have not actually read it, but uh, is is all about sustainability. Yeah, I mean, un unsustainable consumption. They talk a lot about that, and they say uh, we shouldn't use fossil fuels because these are unsustainable. Well, it's true. I mean, the world only possesses a limited supply of fossil fuels, and that any use. Uh, whatsoever of these does reduce the stockpile. Uh, so therefore, any use of fossil fuels whatsoever is unsustainable. And then you could apply that same logic, and it does work as logic, to absolutely everything we as human beings would do. So there's no way of meeting uh, the, the sustainability. Sustainability is a goal that ever recedes into the future, I like to say. You'll never get there. There's nothing that you could do that finally makes us perfectly sustainable unless you do what some of these people who are at this conference, they want birth control, they want limited children, they want to control who's going to have children and where, who gets to use what forms of energy, and where you know, as, a, as, so as a Catholic, as a Catholic, doesn't that just totally rub you wrong? It's completely wrong. I mean, these people, uh, some of these people, uh, uh, like Sachs, uh, he's one of the big organizers. He's at, at right, NYU. Right. He is a big proponent of abortion and contraception, which, of course, are inimical to the Catholic Church's fundamental teachings. So, it, it, it can't be that because he's for sustainability that we should be embracing this man because in order to reach these sustainability goals, we have to eliminate people, according to him. Somehow these environmentalists hate people. It's never been understandable to me why more people are necessarily worse. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because, the, and along with the whole sustainability argument, it totally eliminates the fact or the the reality of human ingenuity 
Not exactly so. No, no one can predict. The, the whole point is populations have certainly increased over the past century. This is true. And they always point to this as some kind of Malthusian doom waiting to happen to us. But that's false. The reason the number of people have increased so dramatically is because technology has increased. The, in, in particular, the way we uh, produce food and deliver food, orders of magnitude better than we were 100 years ago. And this has allowed people not to die so often and allowed them the freedom to have more children. So it's, it's, it's a benefit of technology that we have so many people. It's not a detriment. Interesting point. Good, good way of, uh, of phrasing that. Yeah, I love talking to you, Matt. You've, got, you've done a great job on, the, on your uh, piece, Vatican Burns with Global Warming Enthusiasm. And uh, that was in Crisis Magazine. Is that the best place to find this? That's it. Okay, and I have a link to it in my column because I quoted you on the really dwindling impact of, uh, you know, when the Pope speaks. Uh, yep. And, and I, I think that this conference received little attention, but I think it's very important for people to be aware of. I think so, too. Great. Well, I appreciate you joining me today on America's Voice for Energy, and I look forward to the next opportunity we have to talk. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, Matt. Have a good day. Bye-bye. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot Conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source the people who work every day to provide it. Feedstuffsfoodlink.com, connecting farm to fork. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to our final segment today of America's Voice for Energy. Wow, we've had a stimulating discussion with a lot of uh, interesting perspectives on the Pope and climate change. And now for our closing segment, I'm delighted to have Sterling Burnett with us once again. And he is a research fellow on energy and environment with the Heartland Institute. And as you've heard from our other guests, the Heartland Institute had a press conference uh, in conjunction with the Pope's Summit on Climate Change. 
in Rome on April 27th and 28th. And so to wrap things up for us today, Sterling's going to uh, kind of give us an overview of how the press responded, what happened uh, in Rome, and uh, anything else uh, Sterling wants to address on that. So Sterling, glad to have you back today on America's Voice for Energy. Yeah, good to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. You're at a conference in Washington, D.C. right now, I understand. Yeah, we're uh, doing Hill meetings, meeting with the Senate House staffers and uh, uh, and other think tanks trying to coordinate uh, activities, see how we can help move uh, energy prosperity along. As you said, uh, I wasn't actually part of the, uh, the Rome contingent, but I did a lot of prep work for those that went and have written a lot on this, as you know, Marita. I'm actually, uh, a lot of people think I'm an economist, but I'm not. I'm a moral philosopher by training. That's where my PhD is. A moral philosopher? Didn't even know there was such a thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I did applied philosophy as graduate school. My specialization was environmental ethics. And so uh, when I heard the Pope was going to speak on climate change, of course, it immediately aroused my interest. I, uh, I'm not a Catholic myself, but I am a, a Christian. And, you know, he's Likewise. the largest... Christian denomination on earth, and and I uh, think that uh, certainly he has uh, responsibility to help the poor as to uh, uh, the people of all religions, and he has uh, yeah, and I, I address that in my I address that in my column on this topic where I said you know you have to admire the Pope's um, you know desire to to help lift the poor out of poverty. Well, actually, I don't know that his desire is to lift them out of poverty, but he, he does seem to have a heart or a compassion for the poor. But as we heard from Cal Beisner and, and some of the others, that these the the uh, the proposals that the Pope is endorsing will actually hurt the poor. I think what it is is he, his heart's in the right place, but he's he is both badly misinformed in theory and in practice. First off, as as Cal, I, I listened to a little bit of that segment. As Cal said, you know, he was raised in liberation theology. And their view was the Marxist view, which is an odd. Yeah, thing, and I had to cut Cal off paper. on that. So yeah. I had to cut Cal off on that because we were out of time, and he was kind of heading into a whole new area, and I was just out of time. So go ahead and expound on that if you don't mind. Well, liberation theology came out of the 1970s and 80s. It was in South America where you had a lot of not very nice folks, you know, dictators and tyrants, pretty tyrants running countries down there, uh, sometimes with the support of the U.S. government, uh, uh, but, you know, certainly not democracies, and they kept the poor down. And uh, a lot of the church's response in South America was, we need to raise the people up. And Marxism, despite the fact that it, promotes atheism, it, it counts itself as being for the people and for communities. And he was, uh, you know, down there in the communities working, trying, trying to help the poor. So whereas the, the political elites at that time didn't care about the poor. They cared about the, the wealthy, the wealthy who were keeping them in power. So it, you understand his background. You understand yeah. why he has the views that he has, but that doesn't mean his views are correct and, and are going to have the intended effects, which, which he hopes. It, it was an odd thing for me, and I wrote about this, that the people, that his advisors on this, uh, on this uh, climate change issue, if you look at the statement they had, the initial statement, it actually talked about population. That was removed from the final statement. His advisors were people who are pro-abortion, who are pro-population control of the China variety, 
who are uh, and, and, and these these are not <laughs> these are not Catholic positions, and so exactly he, he had to tone them down. But at the same time, he doesn't trust them on population, but he's trusting them on climate, and he is being badly misinformed. Yeah, and that's exactly the point I made in my column on this topic as well, as it's, you know, such an obvious question that you have to ask is why, when he would not embrace these people's positions on any of the other secular human hum, secular humanist views they hold, why would he embrace them on this one narrow topic? Yeah, and I think that the answer is that the debate, uh, the media has been bought in, the, the politicians have been bought in. I think the, the the idea that the debate is over, that climate change is a real threat, and the people who will be threatened most by it are the poor, plays into his 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 desire, his his justified desire to help the poor. But what he doesn't understand is the people that are promoting that view, a are wrong on the science, that that they they rely on models, evidence. Trump's models and evidence isn't running with the climate, uh, you know, climate alarmist theory. And B, their answer is restricting fossil fuels and capitalism, which is liberation theology already criticized capitalism. And so it plays into his prior history of liberation theology, which criticized capitalism, and it plays into his sympathy for the poor. So it is an oddly, it's a natural fit. It just happens to be if you really want to help the poor, the wrong fit. And I think, you know, Cal touched on this. It, what, what the Pope, and I, this is what I hoped he would take away, if, if, if he listened to anybody outside of your little certainly he didn't. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, not thinking he's going to be listening to us, but... Well, I hope, what I hope you take away, if you look at the history of the world, he'd know that fossil fuels, that, that the use of fossil fuels didn't take uh, a safe environment, and it's not making a safe environment more dangerous. It took a dangerous environment, an environment where people were praying to uh, petty gods to to uh, for rain, you know, because they didn't have irrigation. So you hoped the rains would come. So you prayed to the gods of rain, and and you hoped the soil would be fertile. So you prayed to the fertility gods. If, if fossil fuels took an environment that was not safe for humans, that was killing humans at 30 through disease and pestilence and starvation, and turned it into an environment where we rarely, rarely uh, worry about natural disasters in nature. Nature still impacts us. There's no question. But what's the difference between what happens when a hurricane and tidal waves hit California or New Orleans and when it hits Indonesia? We bounce back in New Orleans and California pretty quickly. We have a few hundred die, maybe. That's a really bad hurricane. Yes. In Indonesia, you're talking 100, you know, 100 to 300,000 when the last big one occurred. And the, the difference is not whether uh, the climate was different. The climate's not different. The difference is we have development through the use of fossil fuels, and we have resiliency built in. They don't. And, and look, let and, me just let me jump in here real quick. Haven't we had fewer hurricanes in the last couple of years than previous history? Well, right now we're in a cycle that we've not seen in 45 years. It's called the five-year running mean. So you look at across five years, what's the average number of tropical storms that form? We're at a 45-year low right now, despite climate 
despite climate models saying we should be seeing yeah. more and more intense hurricanes, we're having less and less. We haven't had a major hurricane landfall in over nine years now. That's the longest period since 1900. That, and that's what I was getting at when, I, when you talk about the Pope. The people that are pushing him, the people he was listening to, are pushing models, predictions. And they're not informing him what are the facts on the ground. And the facts on the ground are all the model predictions about extreme weather are wrong. We're not seeing more and more severe droughts. Sea levels, they're rising, but they've been rising since the end of the last ice age, and they're rising at, a, at the average rate they've been rising for the last 500 years and at a lower rate than they've risen on, the, on average for the last 14,000 years. Did he get any of that? Did anyone whisper that in his ear in the Vatican last week? I suspect not. Instead, they said, the models predict, and it's like, well, you know, they've been predicting a lot of things, and none of them have proven true. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to, that's why I interrupted you to talk about the quantity of hurricanes, uh, because, you know, that's, it, they, they just, they just haven't been, but I love, I want to go back, and I, I, I interrupted you, and I'm sorry about that, but it's, I, I enjoy talking with you so much. You, you had a beautiful sound bite there, and I want, to, want you to repeat it in a kind of sound bite fashion, and you said something like, and I just want to make sure we have this, that fossil fuels have taken people from living in an unsafe environment to living in a safe environment rather than p taking people from in a supposedly safe natural environment, if you listen to the others, to a dangerous environment. Yeah, that's How, what we, what was, the, the, the point is this. We, current, we live in a, a time period right now where disease, where hurricanes, where most of us weather, climate, it's a nuisance, not a danger. Why do we live in that period? Fossil fuels. Not that long ago, we lived in a world where nature truly dominated the works of man. And we, and fossil fuels changed all that. They took an unsafe environment for humans and transformed it into a safe environment for humans. Or a safe okay, that's the, that's the sound bite. The, like. the, only, the only way, and, and, and the climate theorists are just the, you know, the climate alarmists are just the opposite. They're saying that fossil fuels are taking a safe environment. Well, it's, it's fortunate that they were born now. Had they been 300 years ago, they would have known what a really unsafe environment was like. And it's like, okay, now we've got 1.3 billion people that don't have electricity. They're not suffering from too much energy. They're not worried about low energy prices or high energy prices. They're worried about having a light bulb that comes on or being able to refrigerate their food so it doesn't rot. And we're telling them 1.3 billion people living in poverty, you can't have what we have. And Cal said it, and I'll repeat it. It's morally reprehensible. It's morally bankrupt. And if the Pope endorses that view in his encyclical, and he hasn't, he hasn't issued his encyclical. But I understand if he endorses it's that view in, in his encyclical, then he will be uh, promoting a view that's morally bankrupt. Yeah, it's, it's interesting the response I've gotten from Catholics uh, from, to my column uh, you know, just just really uh, ashamed of what their their pontiff has done. I assume you've had similar response to yours as well. <laughs> well, I've I've gotten some of that, but I've also gotten a lot of people, you know, sort of saying, "How dare you question the Pope? How dare you?" Uh, yeah, I haven't gotten his, any of that yet. I was a little sincerity. afraid. I was. And, and I was like, a little afraid in what I wrote that I would get some of that because it was I, it was a little bit risky for me. It was a little outside of my norm. But so far, I've only had positive. But maybe I'm not as widely distributed as you are. 
Well, tell us. We, oh, go ahead. We, we were written up. Uh, I got. I, I was in the lacrosse paper and in a, the main news. Uh, wrote an article on the Pope tweaking climate uh, climate uh, deniers, and and they both mentioned me and. In the, in the context of what are you thinking, questioning the Pope. It's like, look, the Pope knows about souls. The Pope knows Catholic dogma and doctrine. But when it comes to climate change, I'll trust my knowledge on climate more than I'll trust the Pope's. And I'll trust my knowledge on climate more than I trust Jeffrey Sachs or advisors on climate. Yeah. we got 20 seconds left, uh, Sterling. Tell us where people can find what the Heartland Institute has done in Rome and the videos and so forth. Well, just go to our website, www.heartland. Uh, I think it's heartlandinstitute.org. Go there, uh, or, but it might be heartland.org. And we have a rotating page on the Pope and climate, on the witch hunt and climate. We've got several climate-related matters right at the top of the page. Great. We're out of time. Sterling Burnett from the Heartland Institute. Thanks for joining us today to talk about the Pope and climate change. We'll be back next week on America's Voice for Energy. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.